Hello and welcome to The Huddle. Liam, Sam and Maria back with you as we are midway through the grand final series. This time mid next week, we might be talking about championship celebrations because the Kings and the Breakers are all tied up one apiece. It was an epic first weekend of the championship series. And to break it down, I've got a guy with me, Chris Anstey, today who knows all about uh, performing in this type of situation. He's a three-time NBL champion. He knows all about playing in the championship series as the MVP. He did that effectively twice. Uh, and he also knows about getting it done in the championship series because he's a two-time grand final MVP as well. So sit back, relax. Up next, Chris Anstey. Chris, what's happening, mate? Thanks for joining the huddle. It's good to be here. You're right. It's it's, it's been an interesting start to the the grand final series. It's probably a tricky one. The NBL's had to navigate with the FIBA window, and you know we've already seen cramps. We've seen corkies. We've seen guys probably not quite at their best. And you know it was a very kind intro you made there. But I think one thing that a lot of us learn going through championship series is you don't necessarily always perform at your best from a skill level, but you want to be at your best physically. And I'm just not quite sure we've seen that from either team yet. And it, it's been inconsistent. It's been inter- It's been fascinating, but uh, certainly very different to, I, I would imagine, what most of us thought might happen and perhaps what the NBL hoped would happen through this series. Yeah, you want everybody healthy and at, at their best. And what, what we saw from uh, Walton Jr. in particular and Xavier Cooks over the last part of game one and throughout game two has thrown a whole bunch of drama and kind of intrigue into into the series. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit more depth in a minute because I do want to pick your brain as to why you think the pickle juice is getting such a workout so far in this series and how much the fever break had to do with that. But I want to start here because I think what Sydney did in the end, in game two, I think it's the most impressive, gutsiest win I think I've ever seen in the NBL. And when you, and I spoke about this on NBL Overtime just before, game, you know, you one zip down in a championship series, you're on the road, you're not just losing two players, you're losing the MVP and an all league point guard. Um, if you go down to zip, as you know, like no one's ever done it before to come back from there. You've almost pretty much lost the series at that point. Well, where can you think of one, maybe from your own experiences or going back as far as you can that outranks it in that regard? No, look, I, 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 I can and I can't. And what I'll say is that I agree with you 100%. That was an incredibly impressive performance. And, and we won't dig into it too much, but two guys stood out to me in game. And we always talk about role players needing to step up. Of course, you assume that they'll do it alongside their superstars. But for me, Geordie Hunter was incredible in game one, and so was Angus Glover. The impact that those two guys had off the bench in game one, I thought was a real catalyst for what they were able to produce in New Zealand in game two. And you know, the, the mental side of things for New Zealand, oh, you are never going to get handed a championship on a platter like they were in game two for the exact reasons you said. They win that game with Sydney's two best players out of the game. And it's almost, you know, get the engraver in and let's start etching the trophy, but they couldn't get it done 
Yeah. Again, a really, really undermanned New Zealand. When you say, can you think of one? I'll, I'll tell you what, it wasn't a game like that. But for me, I still almost have nightmares about how it could have ended up. You know, we were up at the Melbourne Tigers in 2008, 20 odd in game four against the Sydney Kings just before three quarter time. And Dante, you know, I had little flashbacks. I wondered if Derek Walton Jr. was going to do it. Was it Dante Draper, I think it was, who had the leg injury and was hobbled and they thought, hey, if we're going to lose, we might as well lose with Draper on the floor. And he had one of the more impressive fourth quarters an opponent had against us in the time I was at the Tigers to come back from so far down and send it to a game five. And we lost the opportunity to win the series at home, but fortunately we're still able to get it done. But was that, that the game, gorge that gorge was running around like this? Yeah, that's the one gorge did he yeah. circle around the court pumping his fist and uh we went into the locker room was like we'd walked into a morgue. It was right. it was a horrible twenty four hours. We look but I just had a feeling that the Sydney Kings may have required that type of performance from Derek Walton Jr. if he had anything in the tank down the stretch. They didn't need it. Which, which was a credit to the Kings. But, um, yeah. you know, before this series, I tipped them 3-1 and I was surprised at how game one went. But I'll tell you what, it's it's getting pretty close to if they couldn't put them away there, it's hard to see them turning it around. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. I, I just think, I mean, there's been, from an historical context, there's been some amazing grand final wins, right? And at, where I talk grand final because it's just, it's that the, the the most pressure cooker environment. It's where it's absolutely all on the line. They're the games that go down in, in folklore. But I just think when you encapsulate all of all of that, it's it was a remarkable performance. So let's let's talk a little bit then about why Xavier Cooks and Walton Jr. are struggling the way that they are physically. Walton Jr.'s cramp at the end of Game one was maybe the most almighty cramp I've ever seen someone experience. Like, he looked like he was trying to eat the timber. He was in so much agony on the floor. His entire quad, from his hip basically to his knee, seized up. You saw the way he was trying to walk off the floor. It was impossible for him to bend his knee. And then he couldn't, like, he tried to go, but he couldn't go. Um, Sean Bruce throughout game two, swigging the pickle juice. Uh, Angus Glover's reaching for his hammy every time he comes off the court. Cook's got the double corky that then limited him in game two. Like, is the fever break to blame for guys struggling to this extent, do you think? I, I, I don't know. It's Look, what we can blame the fever break for is probably the dip in probably real engagement in this grand final series until it now is, is when it really revs up and gets going. Um, it's a really, really tricky hand that the NBL has been dealt to have a grand final series with such a long break. And, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And I, I don't deal with fever. I don't particularly want to, but wouldn't it have been great to just keep rolling it through yeah. if we had it known in advance that it was Bahrain and Kazakhstan and we could roll out an NBL one team and beat them, it wouldn't matter. Um, would have loved to have seen it continue through the grand final series. Perhaps that's not even possible and I'm way out of my depth here. But uh, look, it did hurt. Uh, how much did it hurt the players? Look, you generally don't see that in a game one of a, a regular season when they've had a much longer 
time off and, and ramp up. You, you would have thought that both teams would have ramped up training as they got closer to the game. And it, it really did surprise me that there have been so many physical issues. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of us older guys, we sit back and we're still naive enough to think that, look, when it's all said and done and you're in a championship series, play your seven players, maybe seven and a half. You shouldn't need to be on a minute restriction. You shouldn't need to get 10 guys into the game. You should be able if you desire to play a number of guys 36, 38 minutes a game and they should be okay. I think that their condition needs to be able to stand up to that, especially when you don't have any back-to-back. So it's surprising yeah. uh, that their physical condition suffered, but you would hope now with two under the belt and a, you know, a five-day break before game three, you would hope, and I hope, that we get the best players on the biggest stage mm. in the biggest game the NBL's had this season. Mm. Um, I forgot to mention Will McDowell White was cramping in his calf at the end of game one Derek Pardon was cramping in his thighs as well uh, let's talk about that game one because we'll talk about chronologically and the adjustments that were made and what changed from one to two because the breakers threw the first punch and they whacked them right in the mouth with the way Will McDowell White was operating off those ball screens um, 19 points 9 rebounds 9 assists outstanding performance on a big stage. What did you make of of the first game of the series overall? Exactly that. He was really impressive and the Kings didn't handle that that ball that ball screen as well as what they probably needed to. And McDowell, what it's an interesting one. As you take the game as a standalone or you take it in a broader perspective. And I, I think coming into the series, probably the biggest question mark I had over New Zealand's ability to win the whole series wasn't their talent it was their consistency and you see a game like that uh with him with brantley with with barry brown and brantley and barry brown have been their most consistent players all year but outside of that as great as will mcdowell white's been he still has games where he's more mitch mccarran than than that type of an of an output and i thought that was exceptional in that standalone game and I know we're still on game one, but then you flip it to game two and he couldn't reproduce it. Um, As much as the New Zealand breakers got over the line in game one, in the back of my mind, Sydney style of play is more sustainable. They're they're not dependent on huge individual performances. They might get one, Mm. but that's more a bonus than it is dependent upon. So, you know, game one in itself, we saw an extraordinarily talented New Zealand Breakers team come and execute to death and play with a little bit more freedom than what the Kings did. Mm. Will McDowell White flirted with his triple-double and uh, they got the win. Um, But as we know, championships aren't won and lost in one game. They're they're a five-game series. And so then we started thinking about game two and what, what adjustments... Uh, the Kings in particular might make because that's usually how it works within the series. You know, certainly you look at the the win and you go, well, hold on, well, what can we do better? But when you're the team that loses, you've got to actually really change something to turn the result around. And we, and I in particular, you know, we're looking at the ball screen coverage, right? They use the double drags to kind of loosen Justin Simon up with the first screen and then the operated off part and off the second and they're in the drop coverage. And we're thinking, hold on, Will McDowell White torched you in the second half of the round 16 game with the floater. He did it in game one. You're one nil zip down in the series. What kind of change will we see to the coverage? Now, 
in the back of our mind, though, we know this is what the Kings do with Tim Suarez and with Jordy Hunter. They've not been at the line of the screen in in any other kind of coverage all season long. And Chase Buford said to his team, it's not about changing what we do, it's about changing how we do it. So Justin, it it relies on you getting into the ball. That's the, Everyone looks at what the big's doing in this coverage, but it starts with what the guy guarding the ball is doing. And you've got to be impacting the ball and making it difficult for him and making it difficult for yourself to be screened and so on and so forth. I thought that was really impressive to double yeah, down on saying, this is what we do, let's just do it better. Yeah, and that's your most basic philosophy is to improve the quality of the things you do and you're spot on. Justin Simon, his ball pressure, what, six steals, I think it ended up being in game two with those active hands, which led in a low, a really low-scoring game to a bunch of transition baskets. But mm. yeah, the, the, you're right, the, the guard responsibility, and I used to run drops a lot towards the end of my career, and you know, I ran them with guys like Dignac, who had great length, just like Justin Simon does. And our most simple rule was always, Mac, I'm going to take away the rim. I'm going to take away the rim. You have to take away the jump shot. So it was his responsibility to stay on the ball carrier's hip. Shoot right. that contested one all you like, but don't get caught up on the screen. Get over the top, stay in his hip and contest from the back. Um, right. I was going to take away the rim, but anyone can shoot an uncontested mid-range and we just saw less of the uncontested in game two. And, you know, I, I was sitting on, I was away with my family watching game two. It seemed to me that the Kings for extended periods of time, went to a 1-2-2 or a 3-2 zone as well and kept their guards high and kept their bigs low and yep. you know, gave New Zealand a different look to probably what they'd seen against the Kings. And I, it didn't seem to me from watching that they'd prepared to see that kind of defensive alignment. So that element of surprise, I think, on, on top of executing that drops coverage better, yeah. just providing a different look that the breakers hadn't seen, I thought was exceptionally... Uh, it was very strategic and well done by the Sydney Kings. Yeah, he went to that because he had to go to the Suarez and Hunter lineups, which they hadn't played much together before. So he used the zone with them and he flipped the coverage up with Jalen Galloway, who is the second primary uh, matchup on Will McDowell-White. He had him slipping under the screen um, rather than fighting over the top. Which begs the question, actually, before we go on to now the transitioning into game three, did you feel like maybe the breakers were a bit tight, a bit anxious in game two? Yeah, my biggest thought with both teams, I I got up and left the room two or three times and um, both teams were just so loose and it seemed like it was all loose with the ball, you know, easy ball handling turnovers, dribbling off your foot. Yeah, it's a championship series and possession of the ball is an absolute premium. And I didn't think either team got that right. Uh, did they seem tight? Uh, maybe it seemed like sometimes when you go in against a wounded opponent, you, you expect or you hope to be able to yeah. just walk across the top of them. And that's what it probably looked like to me. And mm. they just seemed a little bit too loose. They, they didn't have the attention to detail that they had in game one. They didn't get to their spots as well as they did in game one. Now, the flip side of a, a defensive team turning up or you know, ratcheting in and turning up the pressure is that the offense still needs to be able to get to their spots. Yeah, you've mm. got to be able to execute against pressure in a grand final series. I didn't think the breakers did that well. And 
you know, sure, take a little bit of time to adjust the increased pressure, but you know, it's, the easiest thing is to speak from experience. And, you know, what, that, what, that was what the Sydney Kings were like when we played against them and Gorge had the reins and Jason Smith was at the front of it and it was, it was gnarly. Um, mm. And it took a while to adjust over time. You got used to it, but we knew if we turned the ball over, we were dead. We had to value possession of the ball, get shots at the rim, and I didn't think the breakers were able to get the shots at the rim that they wanted. Uh, Xavier Cooks uh, was limited in game one, got banged up towards the end, and then hardly played in game two. Now, the news in the last 24, 48 hours has been spectacular. He's signed by the Washington Wizards. Another thing you can relate to, being picked up and moving uh, from the NBL to the NBA. What do you feel like? I mean, I'll, firstly, I'll give you the chance, of course, to talk on your reaction to that news. But on the back of that, what kind of impact do you think that has for Zave in this grand final series? So firstly, I was actually disappointed that the news came out. We knew a couple of weeks ago, so you're probably well aware Mark Worthington's a scout for the Washington Wizards. And he told me a couple of weeks ago that they'd signed him to a multi-year deal. And, yeah, they were doing all they could to not let it out because they wanted Xavier Cooks to be able to focus on the grand final and not take attention from him and his desire to win a championship and the Kings. And that's where sometimes journalism gets in the way. Um, I didn't like that the story came out. It would have been just as big a story once the grand final series had finished and there's this thing with journalism to be first. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, people who know have known for a long time and I think everyone was really respectful to Xavier Cooks and his management team and to the Sydney Kings to, to let the NBL Championship Series shine first and deal with that next. Uh, what's it like transitioning? I, the, the one thing I felt, and I can only speak for myself, was my debt of gratitude to the Southeast Melbourne Magic, the coaching staff and my teammates was so high that there was talk of me going a little bit earlier. I'd, I, I wanted to repay them by being the absolute best that I could when it really mattered. And we didn't quite get it done in 1997. We lost in game three of that championship series. I was on a plane the next day and it was a really easy reset. But, you know, I, I think the deal's done now. Um, if he hasn't already this year, especially for a championship series, knowing your next step and knowing now that, and Xavier Cooks, this, he doesn't have to prove himself in front of NBA scouts anymore. He can play with a freedom knowing that the next, the next step is locked in uh, and no one's evaluating him, him anymore outside of his own team. So my hope is that, you know, those corkies that he's got heal up over the next five days, we get to see him at full fitness. Uh, and he plays with a sense of freedom, mobility, athleticism that we've come to see over the year that, geez, it's just another massive string to add to the Kings, both from the team that won game two. I, I just hope we see him out there on Friday. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well then, what about if you're Modi Mayor and you're the breakers? The pendulum now swings towards them to start making adjustments. How do they get... You're talking about getting to your spots. How do they get... Will McDowell-White, Barry Brown. How do they get those guys to the spots offensively, the, the shooters on the wings that were getting looks and knocking them down in game one that it didn't really happen to the same level in game two? How do they flip that up, up again before Friday night? 
first things first, you take away the, the dozen or so lackadaisical possessions that they had with the ball. Uh, it's almost the same thing that you said with regard to the Sydney Kings defense. You don't have to change anything now. They're in the they're in the championship series for a reason. Do it better. Get your attention to detail right. Get your screening angles better. Your quality of screens, your quality of cuts. It's a quality of everything you do, and you know shoot the shots that you're meant to be shooting. Um, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Uh, defensively, it will be interesting to see how they adjust. It, it was interesting to see how. They guarded Xavier Cooks in game one. And I think, you know, over the course of the series, if they can encourage Cooks to shoot from outside the paint and shoot at a high volume from outside the paint, A, it reduces his shooting percentages, B, it takes him off the offensive glass, and C, it takes it, it takes those perimeter shots away from some of his Kings teammates. So I would probably expect the New Zealand breakers to say, OK, Xavier Cooks, if you can have 30 shooting it from outside the paint, congratulations, but we're not going to let Walton get going. We're not going to let Vasiljevic get going. Uh, we're not going to let Angus Glover get downhill and get on the rim. So, you know, probably pick your poison a little bit and start tilting the odds back in your favour by having the King shoot the shots that you want them to shoot, not the ones that they want to. One of the things that coaches often do over the course of a series, especially like a longer series, like a five-game series like we have here or seven games in the NBA at times, is they, um, they start to think, well, should we change up our lineup in some kind of way? Um, Pete Hawley over the last 24 hours has been saying, I wonder what it might look like if Modi Mayor throws Barry Brown Jr. out there as a starter and says, all right, Justin Simon, which one of those two guys are you going to guard now off the opening tip? Um, does he look at maybe not that, but Isaiah Liafa? and say one of Rayan Rupert or Tom Abercrombie, you come off the bench, Liafa comes in, starts on Dion Vasiljevic right away, and you've got another sort of secondary ball handler out there from the opening tip. Do you think he'll look at any of those types of switch-ups? Yeah, look, he might. Um, you know, it's been done before, and again, I, George is a master of, of switching that up. I, I think it'll end up over the course of the game getting back to what we've come to expect, but just to try to gain some small advantage off the tip and, again, give them something that they haven't prepared for, sure. Um, you know, watching Rupert play, I've been reasonably vocal in my support. He's been the best performed next star in the history of the program when it comes to his team being successful. Mm -hmm. We haven't, we, we didn't see that with Lamello. We didn't even see that with Josh. This is the first time we've seen a next star being asked to perform in games that absolutely matter. And you've seen his minutes come all the way down to 10 minutes a game. That could slide even further. At the end of the day, he's a young kid and the, and the breakers have the opportunity to win a championship. So, yeah, maybe they go for a little bit more experience, a little bit more physical strength. Again, he's someone, what is he now, top 10 on the NBA draft board that knows what his next step is going to be. He's not going to have his feelings hurt. If he plays a few less minutes at the expense, yeah, you know, getting Barry Brown into that starting lineup, you know, it's probably not Lee Arthur. You know, again, he's very inconsistent, extraordinarily talented, but you're still kind of crossing your fingers and, and hoping you get the best version of him. Barry Brown, you know exactly what you'll get every game. So maybe they have a look at him in the starting lineup. But, you know, I, I tend to think that it's going to take a significant loss in game three for Modi Mayor to, to tinker with it. But, no, you, you never know. Okay. All right. And lastly, I'm not talking about bringing back the Biff 
in any type of way. But would you do you think the breakers might approach Xavier Cooks if he's out there on the floor at the opening tip on Friday night with some greater physicality? Given that he's been so sore and uh, what you know the NBA element to it all, and the fact that you know he's going to want to be healthy and feeling good at the end of this series when he heads over and joins the Wizards, I wouldn't. I, I would give him space on the offensive end, as I mentioned, and dare him to shoot the ball and, and make him feel uncomfortable in that regard. I, I think the best way you can put physical pressure on Xavier Cooks and maybe Derek Walton, for that matter, is to absolutely go after them defensively, have him move his feet, um, drive dribble, uh, guard dribble penetration. Hey, if you end up clipping that corky of his, that's unfortunate. But I think, you know, if on the New Zealand breakers, you want to go at their most, their two most talented offensive players on the defensive end to take some gas out of their tank, to challenge their level of physicality. And, you know, they're not a hundred percent. So you really want to test and see how close they are. Um, no, I don't think they'll turn up that aggressiveness. I think sometimes someone like Xavier Cooks, who, you know, for, for an MVP of the league, is incredibly unselfish. Um, yeah. You probably don't want to, to gear him up. You don't want to piss him off. You don't want him putting the ball down if you're up on up pressuring and getting into his space and getting him on the rim and opening up, you know, a, a dunk down the middle. I, I think it might just go the other way. You'll test him on the other end of the floor. All right. Well, to close it out, you said before that you picked Sydney in four to begin the series. We're one game apiece now. No team's been able to hold fort at home. What are your expectations here for the upcoming two, maybe three games? You know what? I, as I said, I realised that wasn't quite accurate. I actually tipped Sydney to sweep. So I'll go 3-1 now. Where though, on our podcast, he tipped the breakers 3-1. So I think he might end up being right. I just think... Again, the, the breakers after that performance against such an undermanned Kings, you know, the ability to add Xavier Cooks and Derek Walton back in any capacity adds to their depth. Uh, they've, they've tuned up, they've switched on, they've seen what happens if they're not at their best in game one. And I don't think you get that uh, that type of Sydney Kings outfit uh, in game three. I think they take care of business there. And when the championship's on the line, you mentioned you thought New Zealand might have been a little bit tight in game two, up a game. They might be a little bit tighter knowing that there's a championship on the line in game four. So I'll tip Sydney 3-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. Hey, I'd love to see any series go to a game five, but the biggest thing I hope for is for the best players to be on the court, to be fit and healthy. And you know, that, I think that's all you want uh, at the pinnacle of a season. So... I think we'll see a much higher quality game three than what we've seen in game one and game two. Well said. Here, here. And uh, hopefully those guys heal up well over these next couple of days and everyone's fit and firing for the weekend. Um, thanks, Eves, for the chat, man. Awesome to pick your brain and uh, amidst a series that kind of resembles what you have been there and, and, and been involved in. So appreciate your insights. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me, Liam. Cheers, man.